Oh, yeah. Hello. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's, uh, I think it's all right because life can be really busy. But thank you for listening. This is Begin Again. My name is John. I was trained as a pastor, and uh, yeah, I do pastor things on this. <laughs> now, sometimes these episodes end up being something close to an interesting insight, but this one is just kind of a straight-up Bible study. But I want to try something, all right? Now, one of the things I, I like to challenge myself to do is... Find a way to talk about a passage that you could either be religious or not and still glean something from it. And I I don't necessarily want to only do one or the other. I, I think it's interesting sometimes to try to understand it from both. So today, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about a famous story from one of the Gospels, Matthew, about an event that Jesus was a part of. But then try to understand it from two perspectives. One, a miraculous perspective, and then the other from a materialist perspective. You feel me? You got that? So, yeah, that's it. Let's do it, okay? So I'm going to read something from Matthew chapter 14. This is the feeding of the 5,000. You may know this passage. I'm sure many of you have heard at least referenced heard it referenced in multiple ways, or maybe you've heard about it anyways. I was uh, reading it about a week ago, and I started making just some casual notes just for myself that that made me laugh, (laughs) which I'm going to share with you. But then also, uh, this passage kind of exploded. I was like, oh man, this is way larger and more important than I thought it was. So that's why this episode is called It's more than just about loaves and fishes. It's more than just about loaves and fishes. Okay, so let's do this. This is Matthew 14. Matthew is understood as one of the four main uh, biographies of Jesus. Biography isn't quite the right word because biographies back then didn't exactly exist the same way that biographies do now. But in Matthew... It actually had an agenda, and it's not a secret to say that, but its agenda was trying to say that Jesus is something close to a bigger, better Moses, not to diminish Moses, not to say Moses wasn't fantastic, impressive, amazing, the foundational lawmaker and prophet of the Old Testament. No, it's just to say Jesus follows in that line, but even expands on what Moses' role was. You feel me? Okay. So I'm going to read Matthew 14, and then you listen, and then after that, I'm going to break down some things from it, and then we'll see what we come up with by the end. Okay? Here we go. When Jesus heard what had happened... He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Sounds like Jesus so far, right? As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's getting late. 
Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So the disciples are saying, listen, the day is ending. And usually healers back in those days, they had a sunrise to sunset type mindset. And so, (laughs) yeah, anyways, let's keep going. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Oh, man. We only have here five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, back in that culture, they would probably say that this, this crowd maybe had 10,000 people. Because if each of the men were married and they each had at least a kid, one kid with them, this was a massive, massive crowd. Now, one thing that's interesting is there's no reference as towards the religious affiliation of the crowd that came to be healed and to meet Jesus. It doesn't say they were Jewish. It doesn't say they were not Jewish. It just says there were crowds and they were hungry by the end of the day. Now, that's pretty good. I have to admit, there's a a few parts that I found kind of funny about this passage, right? First up, the disciples say, hey, Jesus, we need to send them away. Or he even says, you send them away. And he says, no, 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 you feed them. Wait, what? <laughs> Jesus turns the tables on them. And in, instead of him listening to them, he tells them to then feed the other people. That's pretty wild. I just think it's pretty funny that Jesus kind of rebukes that mindset. But then another one, there's no reference towards what kind of fish. Was it swordfish? I don't know. Bass? I don't know. (laughs) What else? Flounder? Uh, Salmon? Was it cod? I don't know. (laughs) Well, probably something to the region. But imagine what kind of loaves of bread did they have? Was it it focaccia? (laughs) Was it pumpernickel or sourdough? Was it rye bread? Was it pizza bread? Or like, uh, what's it, pepperoni bread? You ever had that? And so it's really funny to me, Jesus, what if in the moment, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, bring over, uh, oh, you have pumpernickel? Now you hold on to that one. We'll just break up these loaves over here. These are all the really good focaccia. (laughs) That's interesting. So what we have here, okay, there's a myth and there's a truth that's going on in this passage. The common myth that kind of slips below the radar is that the disciples think this that the people's problem of being hungry is not their problem, right? And so the disciples, they think to themselves, it's not our problem that they're hungry. Let's send them away so that they can go somewhere else and get the food that they need. Well, Jesus turns it around and says, no, 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 that's, that's a myth. Their problem is your problem. He says, you feed them. It's part of your responsibility. And so it's fascinating because I mean, obviously, in church culture, 
or religious or Jesus culture, whatever you want to say, it's very easy to talk about loving your neighbor. And we can sit and we can talk about that and theorize about it all the time. But here's Jesus saying, oh no, you have to feed them. And this this parable is, or not this parable, this event, this really is an outpouring of actually saying, we're going to do what we talk about. We're actually going to love our neighbor as ourselves. They're hungry, then you're hungry. Their problem is your problem. So let's get on top of this, all right? And so Jesus asks them to pull from what resources they had and to share it. Oh, so good. So here are the two ways. I think I've made enough notes about a miraculous way of reading this passage and then a materialist way of reading this passage. And you can take insights from each of these. So whichever one you are, a miraculous person or a materialist person, it doesn't matter. You'll appreciate this. You ready? So let's go with the miraculous and then we'll do the materialist. To the person that believes in miracles, this story is fantastic, right? There's five loaves, two fishes, and they just seem to multiply and multiply and multiply so much so that maybe 10,000 people or more had enough food to be satisfied. How interesting. I mean, in this passage, it's commonly understood as one of the most important miracles in the Gospels, and it doesn't just show up in Matthew. It shows up in other ones as well. But it says that the loaves and fishes were multiplied. There was more of them, and there was even more baskets at the end than they started with. It says there was 12 basketfuls by the end of it. It's like, oh my gosh, what happened? What, what could that look like? Did, was it just like a divine copy-paste that there was just a mass surplus of all focaccia bread and cod? <laughs> was it, did every single basket look exactly like the other one? Was it literally a copy-paste? What is that? Uh, command C and then command V to copy-paste on the computer? Well, there, there's probably something else. It's miraculous in the sense that there was 12 baskets, one for each disciple, that's kind of cool, right? And of course, the disciples is somehow a reference back towards the 12 tribes of Israel. And so here's a new t- new kind of Israel being born in some ways that's from the old one, but here's 12 new tribes being started with these 12 new disciples. So there's all this going on, but more than just the miraculous side of it, there's this deep symbolism happening here. And I already kind of alluded to it, that the, there's no reference towards what is the religious affiliation of the crowds. Are they also Jewish? Are they not? Are they believing in the Greek pantheon? Were they Romans? What were they? And so there's no reference, but that's kind of the point, right? In Isaiah, there's passages that talk about how one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Yahweh is Lord. Yahweh is the Old Testament name of God. And what do you want to say about that? Well, there was a tendency in Israel to forget its own mission. Its mission from the start was to be a blessing to all the other nations, right? And so here's a story 
of this new 12 tribes on these 12 apostles. And they're supposed to be the the right kind of Israel that lives into its purpose of blessing all the other nations. And so here's a story of the disciples coming up to Jesus and saying, hey, you know, all these crowds, we need to send them away. And instead, Jesus says, no, it's your responsibility to feed them. And so it's, Jesus is also roundabout saying, Israel is supposed to be a blessing to the nations. You're not supposed to send away the others. You're supposed to feed them with what you got. So what do you got? Five loaves, two fishes? Great. Let's send it out. And this is important because the disciples had to somehow realize, right, that sharing their blessing, sharing their resources, still meant that there was enough resources for them at the end. And there's always this tendency within religious folk that if I, can, if I own the blessing of God, I can't share it with too many people because if I share it, it will diminish it rather than multiply it. Well, here's a story of what the disciples had, the loaves and the fishes, not being diminished by being shared, but being multiplied by being shared. Isn't that good? And so here's, again, this new type of Israel, or let's say this is Israel doing its job well, of sharing its wealth and resources and its blessings with the, quote, crowds. Which, again, it doesn't say if they were Jewish or not. And so here is Jesus telling them, no, this is a part of the mission. This is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. They're hungry, so you're hungry. Their problem is your problem. They're from the world. You're Israel. Well, guess what, Israel? It's your job to bless everyone else. That is the goal. That is the mm, the purpose, I guess you could say, the mantra of every spiritual person that calls themselves close, close to God. Anyone that's close to God should hopefully exist for the blessing of other people. Hmm right? And so all these spiritual people that walk around the world (laughs) and all they do is hoard up goodness for themselves. Oh, come on. All these spiritual people that don't know how to, I don't know, buy someone else a gift card that doesn't know how to offer to help other people every so often. You're not very spiritual if you're not offering to help other people with their problems, right? If you're not actually looking to be good to other people, then your spirituality is just a load of BS. Right? <laughs> okay, so that's the, that's the miraculous version. Here's the materialist understanding of this. Uh, yeah, you could say this miracle or this event, I guess, of Jesus' life. Okay, so there's Jesus and the disciples. And there's all these crowds that have been around him. They've been intrigued by Jesus, so they come to him. There's about 10,000 of them. And so they're hungry. The disciples say, Jesus, tell them to send them away. Tell them to go back to their villages and get themselves some food. And he says, no, 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 no. You give them something to eat. What do you got? And so they give their loaves and their fishes. And then he breaks it and blesses it and shares it, which is very much like communion, right? But what if 
everyone else there. What if among the crowds, there were some other people that maybe did have some bread and some fishes with them? Maybe some people brought some packed lunches with themselves, right? 10,000 people and not one person thought to bring lunch, especially if there's women there or mothers. Everyone knows that moms have got snacks in their purses for when their kids start to get a little hangry, right? What about those baskets? It's possible that in that culture, some people were already walking around with some baskets, carrying some stuff for the day. They didn't have backpacks like we do, so they have baskets. But what if in that 10,000 people, other people also had some loaves and fishes and some baskets? And so what if those people, when they saw the disciples start to share their loaves and their fishes, to break them in half and share them with others, what if that inspired other people in that 10,000 or so? What if, upon seeing that, some people were inspired to share what they had as well? And so the loaves and the fishes began to multiply because people saw generosity and were inspired by generosity to multiply generosity. So much so that by the end, the entire crowd had enough food to feel satisfied. Doesn't say over full, it says satisfied. But there was so much sharing that ended up happening that there ended up being 12 basketfuls by the end. Right? So what if from a materialist perspective, people chose to overcome their own selfishness, I guess you could say, and share? Because deep within each of us, all right, let's, let's talk about general humanity overall, right? Every single one of us deep down have got a basic code within us. If any of us were to be kidnapped and put into a plane and dropped out of a plane in a parachute and landed in the middle of the forest, we would immediately revert back to just being survivalist uh, creatures and with those tendencies, right? All of a sudden, everything would be about Okay, I gotta survive. I'm in, I'm out here alone. I gotta I gotta fend for myself, right? There's there's probably a scarcity of food, so wherever I find food, I've got to like store it up in the hollow of a tree or dig a hole and bury some food for myself. I gotta find out how to live. Excuse me. But then, let's say there was someone else out there too. We might feel separate from them, or we might might start to feel as though if I find the honey first, that's good for me. But if they find it first, then that means there's not enough for both of us. It's only for them. And so deep within all of us is this basic survival code that is sometimes rather selfish. It's like brainstem activity. It's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Have you ever heard of those? So at our base level, we all have this code that can be activated in us. And so there's this deepest 
uh, core programming. And Jesus here is inviting his disciples to rise up beyond that, to overcome, right? To overcome their survivalist separateness and to overcome their scarcity mindset and be willing to share with other people because there is no separateness. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's, there's only all of us. There's not just me and you. There's us, but even more than just you and me, there's all of us. Your problem is my problem. You're hungry, I'm hungry. That means that we should work together, we should share because there actually is no division between you and I. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And so in some sense, okay, the miraculous version of this story that the loaves and the fishes were actually somehow multiplied by some divine copy and paste, that as the miracle passed out among the thousands of people present, something happened. Cool. That's amazing. But it still goes on the same line that they chose not to hoard it. It started multiplying, and so nobody chose to then just make bigger baskets to hold more bread for just themselves. No, they kept passing the abundance around. The same thing with materialist mindset. It's a different kind of miracle. Instead of maybe the bread and the fishes, the loaves and the fishes and the baskets being copy-pasted by some divine way, people had brought their own lunch, but they felt compelled and inspired, right? Inspired spirituality, right? You hear the words, they're connected, inspire, breathe in, and spirituality. Anyways, people were inspired by the generosity that they saw within Jesus and his disciples to then share what they had and overcome their own hoarding tendencies, And so it's almost like in both of these ways of reading the story, from either a miraculous mindset that the loaves and fishes multiplied by divine possibility, or the loaves and fishes multiplied because of people overcoming their survivalist tendencies, everyone rose above the separateness. Everyone rose above that hoarding instinct. Everyone had their souls somehow evolve above and beyond a scarcity mindset. And so everyone started to realize, oh, if we all survive, I survive too. And so Jesus is always doing something interesting. He always validates the individual, but then he also validates the individual's responsibility to the group. And so there's this wild back and forth of the crowds and the disciples. And how fascinating. Again, at the beginning of this story, the disciples wanted to distance themselves from the needs and the concerns of the crowds. And here's Jesus saying, no, the crowds are us and us are the crowds and we are all one. And so what do you got? Fukasha? salmon. Let's make it happen. Let's pass it around. So this, this story, as I was reading over it this past week, it kind of not necessarily exploded, but I started to see it in two different paths, a miraculous path and then a materialist path. And you can interpret this story either way, but when it comes down to it, 
it seems as though the lesson is still the same. This is a story of, of people learning to share what they had as if what they were sharing was actually like a Eucharist, as if what they were sharing was actually sacramental. The gifts that we share with one another is somehow divine bread and wine, you know? Divine gift, divine sharing with, with one another. So, how about this? Go back and re- reread over this story. Read through it a few times. You can maybe even read it across a few different translations. You'll probably enjoy doing that because different nuances will come out when you do that. But if you do, pay attention to what's actually happening in this story because, yes, to those of you who are materialist, you might get stuck on the miracle side of this. And to those of you who are more miracle-oriented in your worldview, that's fine. But you may overlook the beautiful insight that, my goodness, here's a whole crowd of people that didn't give in to a scarcity mindset and chose to pass it forward, their resources that were being shared. So I'm always fascinated because as I reread parts of the Bible, I'm always fascinated by how Jesus seems to constantly invite people out of their deeper or lower programming and into a higher mode, code, programming, way of being, whatever you want to say. He seems to always be inviting people into a higher form of humanity, into a, maybe you could say a health, healthier humanity, into a, into a holier humanity, right? And in some sense, in this passage, he's teaching the disciples to be like how he would. It's like, no, 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 we're not going to send people away. If we have what it takes to help them, we're going to help them. That's what I would do. That's what you should do. That's what all of us are going to do now. And so at sunset, at the end of this day, Jesus was very tired probably, but he passed on the responsibility of helping the crowds to the people around him. He didn't do all of the work. It's not as though he passed around to each individual person in this crowd of a couple thousands. He passed on the responsibility to others. And maybe, maybe that's part of our responsibility, that he passes on to us the holy task of not giving in to hoarding, the holy task of not succumbing to our lowest programming and just operating on survival mindset at all times and learn to have compassion on other people, even if they're not part of our tribe. Because remember, there's no reference as towards whether or not these crowds are Jewish or not. They're just crowds. And so Jesus seems to have compassion, not just on the spiritual folk, but also on everyone else. So maybe we should do the same, right? So I don't know what you got out of this. This is just... um, podcast Bible study, I guess you could say. But hopefully it was interesting. Hopefully you took something from it. And you know what? If you did, uh, shoot me an email or find me on Twitter somehow and 
my goodness, just tell me what you got from this, all right? This has been another episode of Begin Again. This one was called, what is it? It's more than just about loaves and fishes. May grace and peace be with you.